0: You're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Every practice has patients that can be difficult to manage. Some could have undiagnosed personality disorders, and in times of emotional stress, that trauma may unmask more symptoms. As a clinician, how do you recognize them, and importantly, how do you treat them? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Larry Robbins. Larry is assistant professor of neurology at Rush Medical College and director of the Robbins Headache Clinic in Northbrook, Illinois. He has been included in America's top doctors list for many years, as well as Chicago's top doctors. He's the author of several books on headaches, and he has a special research interest in psychopharmacology. Today we're discussing the pharmacology of borderline personalities and the impact of stress. Welcome to the show, Dr. Robbins.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me here.
0: Now, first of all, how does a general practitioner recognize a borderline personality disorder?
1: Well, the severe borderlines are relatively easy. It's the mild or moderates. about one or one and a half percent of the population is borderline or certainly has borderline traits. And we look for poor self-image, fear of abandonment. We look for chronic irritability and anger and depression. Borderlines in general, day-to-day, feel irritable, angry, depressed, up and down all day, which explains why when they get into their 30s, they become suicidal. It almost is logical that they would become suicidal because they feel so terrible uh, every day. Impulsivity, big-time shopping. If you look at big spenders, sometimes it's mania or hypomania with bipolar, but more often it's borderline behavior, the impulsivity. And severe impulsivity is not a great predictor of how people will do in the future with not only with borderline, but with ADHD and with bipolar. If you ask one question at age 20, how impulsive, hopefully people are becoming less impulsive. And when we talk about personality disorders, One old professor that I knew said that the real cure for severe impulsivity is about 40 years in jail because they tend to do violent acts impulsively and end up in jail. But over time, people mellow out, and by age 50 or 60, people are less impulsive. We look for suicidal, chronic suicidal ideations. Borderlines under stress get much worse. We look for paranoia, particularly big stresses, a death, a divorce situation, they can get paranoid. Boundary issues are a problem. Bursting into the doctor's office or trying to say, "Let's go into business," or bringing you gifts as a as a physician. We look for splitting. They have a hard time seen grays in people. they see black or white and then often they'll split they love you, love you and they'll turn around and hate you.
0: Now under good conditions are difficult to treat and manage and under stress I imagine they can become even more so. Do they have to have pharmaceutical therapy?
1: No the main thing with borderlines who may do very well in between stresses the mild borderlines the illness is always there in their brains, probably biologically based. But gets better and worse. Some people get better permanently so that 10, 20 years later, they don't look like a borderline. But under stress, they can certainly decompensate. Uh, psychotherapy, I think, is the mainstay of therapy and more behavioral, dialectical therapy. Sometimes cognitive, but usually more behavioral. But the key is a long-term relationship with a therapist, which is difficult with borderlines. Often they won't stay in therapy, and most of them do not have very much insight. But medications are an important adjunct. We don't have any FDA official recommended medications for borderline, and we've only had about 84 randomized studies that were reasonably well done for borderlines. And 84 is not very much considering at least a few million people in the country minimum, have borderline personality disorder. But medications, most of them do end up on some medications.
0: Now, what do you do when they have an acute traumatic stress? Is that a time you throw in some benzos, or are they responsive to that? Um, They probably don't fare very well, right?
1: Well, in the formal studies, benzos have not done particularly well with borderlines. In fact, one study on alprazolam xanax, they tended to decompensate. If we use a benzodiazepine, I like clonazepam There's some evidence that it's better in borderlines. It has some serotonergic activity. With borderlines, because of the anxiety, the depression, the impulsivity, we want something that has serotonergic activity, such as SSRIs. And clonopin is a benzodiazepine clonazepam that's relatively long half-life. It acts longer than some of the others. And it also has some serotonin activity. But because of the addiction etc. we try to stay away from benzodiazepines if we can.
0: Now can I deviate just a little and ask you about clonopin because it's kind of an interesting drug. It's in the same class, but clinicians, certainly primary care docs don't use it as much. What's some of the other indications for clonazepam?
1: Clonopin clonazepam is useful for people with anxiety, for insomnia. After all, the benzodiazepines are indicated and very useful for anxiety, but they are addicting and people become tolerant to them. It is used for some types of seizures, although often people become refractory to the clonopin effects and the anti-seizure effect wanes over time, so we want something else. Usually it's used for anxiety and insomnia, and I think in bipolar patients with insomnia, clonazepam can be very good.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. And I'm speaking today with Dr. Larry Robbins, and we're discussing the psychopharmatherapy of borderline personalities. So borderline is kind of like what the name describes, right? They're just barely under control. When they start decompensating or if they have acute stress or they're subjected to traumatic stress, what specifically might you see?
1: It is interesting. In the 1930s, they came up with borderline as sort of the border between schizoid or schizophrenic and rational thinking. And what we see during stress typically take a divorce. Somebody might be a little odd or a little up and down, and then they hit a major stress such as a divorce, and they get paranoid that their wife is cheating on them. They get paranoid that there's people after them or trying to take all their money. They get very hypervigilant, very anxious. They're not sleeping. They can have Reactions such as derealization, depersonalization, they can look actually like a post-traumatic stress. And the borderlines under under stress, such as with a divorce or a close one dies or something, really look like a mess, like a train wreck, and do need therapy and medications. But unfortunately, it's right at that point that they usually resist going to physicians or therapists.
0: So they push away.
1: Yes. They don't have a lot of insight always.
0: Why are anti-epileptics effective? What's the pharmacology behind anti-epileptics and borderlines?
1: Anti-epileptics, particularly lamotrigine, which is the generic for lamictal, and valproate, depakote, help with hypomania in bipolar and can help the depression, particularly lamictal. And certainly borderlines and some personality disorders have axis 1 disorders. They have their anxiety and depression. So it helps... That, that point. Some borderlines are also bipolar, but some have bipolar features, or it looks like ultra-rapid cycling. And the mood stabilizers, particularly the seizure drugs, Lamictal is probably the best, but Depakote has been used quite a bit, and an older one, Oxcarb, oxcarbazepine, which is trileptol. It's a safer form, really, of Tegretol. These really do help some people. There's been one or two small studies on Topiramate, Topamax, particularly in heavier borderlines where weight loss is is desired, at least not weight gain. Topemax can help. But some of these decompensate people too. We see this with bipolar where they'll go on any medicine, and sometimes the anti-epileptic. It theoretically should help them, but if they get a lot worse, suddenly they should be calling you as the physician and stopping the medicine.
0: Tell me this. Do you ever find healthcare professionals themselves who actually are borderline personality traits?
1: Absolutely. I think that personality disorders, if you look at the whole spectrum of personality disorders, probably 10 percent at least of the population is. But moderate to severe, 5 percent. We recently looked at 1,000 of our patients and about 5 percent were moderate or severe personality disorder. And I think that cuts across doctors and lawyers and business executives, and everybody. And when it happens in physicians and they're in a position of power, it can hurt other patients. It, It can also hurt other doctors. I've seen doctors go after other doctors, report them to the Department of Regulation, get incensed, And it always is from a personality disorder.
0: They could get depressed and they can get anxious. And you mentioned the suicidality. Is it true suicidality or is it suicidal gestures that you see?
1: Well, the lifetime incidence of suicide, actual committed suicide for borderline, is about 10 to 12 percent, which is the same incidence as major depression the lifetime incidence of bipolar prevalence of suicide in bipolar is 15%. So it's a little less than in bipolar, but it's significant. 10 or 12% of borderlines will kill themselves. And as they get into their 30s, what happens is their, their families abandon them often, their friends have abandoned them. People are just sick of their stuff. They don't like the hostility, the anger, the drugs, the shopping, the Financial problems, everything. They end up on disability. They are lonely. They have this malignant loneliness, this hole in their stomach. The borderlines feel just horrible. And as they get into their 30s, they're more and more alone, and suicide is a big factor. And we used to think that having kids protected a mom from suicide. One reasonably well done study showed that moms who had kids were actually a little more likely. To commit suicide. So it actually does not protect you from suicide.
0: So when they get anxious or they get impulsive, then they act it out. And that's what their families will see. But that may not be necessarily why they're coming to the primary care doc, right?
1: No, they come often with physical complaints, headaches, stomach aches, back pain, or a multitude of complaints. And they may just show the borderline behavior. Borderline personality disorder is a big drain on the economy and on offices They're the ones who really are gumming up the courts with various types of lawsuits. And they're high maintenance for doctor's offices. They call a lot. And they're also more dangerous for doctors. They're much more likely to report doctors when they split and get angry with physicians, much more likely to report them to departments of regulation and to file lawsuits.
0: So there's times maybe when the primary care doctor should refer them out and not take them on himself?
1: Absolutely. I think... In 1980, it was different, but now some of these patients are much more dangerous, and we all have to take care of every type of patient. We have some, but nobody should have to hold on to every severe, borderline patient. It's just too difficult, and it makes it too difficult for the staff as far as abuse and difficulty, and it burns out the staff. We don't want a medical clinic to put 95% of their energies into 3% of the patients because it's not fair. In the end, it doesn't always help those patients anyways. We want the regular patients with, say, depression, anxiety, their normal problems, to have care and time and energy from the staff and the physician.
0: I want to thank Dr. Larry Robbins, who's been our guest today. And we've been discussing the pharmacotherapy of the borderline personality disorder and how those patients react under stress. I'm Dr. Shera Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.